Welcome, everybody. A little bit of rain and an hour change. Watch everybody come in about 11, like, oh, we got early here today. Yeah, we had a Miranda City night last night. We were out without water and electricity. Yay. Well, I don't know about Miranda City, but at least out in the wilderness where we live, that we survived it. All right, children, super kids, jam club, you are dismissed. Let's give them a hand clap as they leave. Come on. Encourage them. Glory to God. Praise God. Well, we want to give a shout out to all our online church. I'm not going to go through all the names, but, you know, we'll do it every once in a while, but we know you're there. We invite you. I was, that's what I was looking at my phone. You know, you guys are just as much part of this church as everybody else in the room is. So welcome, everybody. And you ready to get in the Word this morning? Yes. Might have a little bit of effects on my voice. I don't know if it's just me or praise God. So I want to start this morning. Um, I want to see if I can finish it in one session. So that's a challenge for me. But we'll go where the Holy Spirit goes. But next week, I'm starting a series for sure. And this is really kind of the, the introduction to that series and we're going to take the, the following Sundays, not this one, to just simply call Look at the Cross. Because, you know, three weeks from now we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate Easter Sunday, we celebrate what our whole faith is based on. Amen? You guys can be loud this morning because half the church didn't wake up, all right? So, amen? Yeah, I don't know. How many of you don't really like, tech, you know, daylight savings time? Let's just be honest. I don't. Arizona had, doesn't have daylight savings time, so that's, we just all moved to Arizona. But I feel like the government owes me an hour now. They should send it to us in our stimulus check, maybe. <laughs> Get past your sarcasm, Pastor Bucks. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for it will take us. We thank you, Father, that we are here to learn, to understand, and to grab truths that will change our lives. And I thank you, Father, that I believe with all my heart that everyone here will receive the word with joy. In Jesus' name, And everybody said... Amen. I want to start off with a little story about my life and why this is important to me. So for those of you that haven't been following all these weeks, um, we started what I thought would be a four-week series, and it turned out to be almost an eight-week series. And I just was sharing foundations of my life, you know. I, I was looking at my track with God, you know, growing up in Christianity, leaving God for 14 years. And when I mean leaving, I went as far as I could from him into extremes, into very destructive lifestyle, addictions, and so forth. And then coming back to God in 1992, you know, and then really having to reprogram my thinking because it doesn't matter how you grow up, you grow up with religion. Can I hear an amen? You know, we, we grew up Baptist, nothing wrong with the Baptist denomination. I, I thank God for my Baptist roots. But the Baptist brand that I was, they stopped with the Holy Ghost. And when I found out the Holy Ghost was real, well then, I, you know, I had to make a decision. Do I follow what the Word is teaching me, or do I sit with my traditions? And again, just, you know, I'm not going to touch that. You know, I think it's a very personal decision. I don't think having the Holy Spirit manifestation, speaking in tongues, gift of the Spirit, if you have it or you don't have it, I don't think that keeps you out of heaven. What keeps you out of heaven is rejecting Jesus, amen, and that's a gift, and just like any other gift, if you want it, God will give it to you, and I've discovered it, and it's wonderful, and so, you know, I had to reprogram my thinking, but then there were a lot of other things that I kept coming across that I had to keep reprogramming, reprogramming, and one thing I discovered over the last almost, well, it'll be 
almost 30 years of my life, is that God isn't withholding. It was stuck in my head. I'm telling you, that this is just you know, my personal experience. I'm trying to save you guys some time for those of you that are newer to the church. I would see things in the Bible, and it seems like it wasn't happening for me. But nonetheless, the word was there. But, the, but, but I found out that the problem was in reprogramming my thinking. Once, I, once my thinking was programmed to what the word said, it seems like things would just, whew, they'd just show up. Because really, my faith was stuck because of bad thinking. And a lot of it came from religious thinking. So I had two directions to go with this message because there's one more foundation that I think is very important in my life, and that's the foundation of praise and worship and understanding what these guys just did. Wasn't that awesome this morning? Why don't you give them a big hand clap, by the way? They did such a good job, really good job. Gilbert on the drums there, appreciate you, man. It was all really good. Everything was great. Presence of God's in the house. So I wanted to talk about that because I think it's just it's one of those foundations that, you know, it almost feels strange. You know, I didn't realize that last year, I, by, by my own choice, I decided to step down from playing music. And I just, it was kind of that aha moment that I had been playing ever since we started this thing. So for 28 years, I've been, you know, in some form or fashion worshiping God. And, you know, we took the praise and worship elements and we traveled to a bunch of different countries ministering to young people, and, and the presence of God would honor us. And the, I mean, the presence of God was way better than the music, I'll tell you that, all right? That God would show up, you know, and it was amazing. So praise and worship is, a, is, a, is an integral, integral foundation in my life. You know, it's not just a song service. So I really want to talk. But then the other foundation that I said, I can't close a series on the things that changed my life without dealing with this, the religion versus a relationship. So we're going to address this this morning, and I'm, again, this is coming, I'll give you enough scriptures, you know, that you'll have to make a decision, but I think everyone has to do some soul searching and identify some of these things, you know, and because they will hold you back, you know, religious thinking will hold you back, and I almost tied it, titled this message, Why I Hate Religion, but then I said hate's kind of a really hard word, but that's how I feel. So I'm going to take you back to my fifth grade class, <laughs> Mr. Young. And I was going to a Christian school in Mexico, but the Christian school was an American school, so everything was taught in English. And this, the Christian school that my parents put me in was specifically designed for missionary kids. They weren't supposed to let other kids in, but they let us in. I guess they needed the money or whatever. <laughs> you know. But there was a handful of us that weren't really ministerial kids. This school was designed, there were so many, many missionaries in central Mexico, American missionaries that all their kids so they rented a little house, well, a big house, actually, not a little house. And they did um, an a, what's called ACE program, which was Accelerated Christian Education. So everything you learned in school, if they taught you math, it was with the word. If they taught you biology, it was with the word. History, with the word. I mean, you, you, spelling, with the word. <laughs> everything was, so, that, so I had all that in my upbringing, so I have some really good roots to grab on. But in fifth grade, and by the way, you know, the roots were Baptist, and I don't want to start a holy war with a Baptist. And, but if you're Baptist, or if you associated with that, there were two sc primary schools of thought during the Baptist camp, and one's called Calvinism, not Calvinism, Calvin, I'm trying to start a Calvinism, but anyway, I don't know if it'll stick, maybe H, you know, 100 years from now we'll find out if they're still talking about me. But, um, and then there was another guy they called Armenian, not the nation, it was another guy, there were just two schools of thoughts, one of them was, you know, 
once saved, you're always saved, predestinated, the people that are going to go to heaven are already called for, and that is that. And, you know, and that's Calvinism. I mean, one of the roots. And then the other side of the camp was, no, grace is for everybody. Amen? Basically, I'm not going to take you on down that path. So that, that doesn't matter right now, but my teacher was a Calvinist. That's what matters. So I remember asking Mr. Young at fifth grade, and I was having, you know, different thoughts about life, and, you know, at fifth grade you don't, and you're hearing, you know, you're hearing Bible all every day of your life, so, you know, somewhere in the conversation I decided to ask, I framed a question in a fifth grade mind, it's amazing how these things brand you, you know, I'm, I became 55 this week, I know I look super young, so that's cool, but, um, you know, you think of something that branded you over almost, you know, 45 years ago, you don't forget it. And it was a very simple question. I said, Mr. Young, because he was talking about this, I said, if there's a person that brings Jesus into their heart, but then he becomes a bad person, and, you know, fifth grade mind, we didn't have internet, we didn't have Call of Duty, so we didn't have Fortnite, we just had whatever we had. So this is the way I framed it. I said, and then he goes and becomes a bank robber. Of all the things I could pick, right? Bank robber. And he robs banks, and he, he just becomes a really bad person. Will he still go to heaven? And he came back and said, he said, yes. Once saved, you're always saved. Boom, that was the end of that. Well, in a, in a mind of a child that's about to go, you know, junior high, high school, and so forth, we were also taught, let me, let me premise some more of the story, we were also taught that now, you know, there's a Bible truth in there. I don't know if it's exactly what they taught us. But they said, you know, when you get to heaven, you're going to have a crown on your head. Any former Baptist here remember any of that? And for every person you get born again, you get a little star. You look like the one you got on your forehead, but you get it on your crown. And, it, you know, your good deeds, and, and you'll have a crown, and you'll have all these stars in heaven, kind of like a reward system. So that was kind of taught. And, and you know, that, that I don't have a really biblical basis for all that, but, you know, it is what it is. So the, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I've, I recognize it now. I didn't recognize it then. Immediately, the, immediate, the next thought that was planted into my brain was from Satan at that age. Because I was on, you know, I, I love Jesus. You know, I was writing, if you know, somebody asked you, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would I said, I want to be a missionary. Because back then, you know, we'd watch missionary movies about missionaries going into the South American jungles and get eaten up by cannibals. That was like our mission, get eaten up by a cannibal, right? But um, I had a heart for Jesus. I really did have a heart for Jesus. I would actually, you know, imagine a fifth grader reading his Bible because he wanted to, not because he was forced to. I would read my, I had a, my dad would give me a living, the called Living Bible, which was really easy to read. I remember reading that on my own. You know, it was like nobody told me read it. I just liked it. I had a hunger for it. Well, when that happened, the next thought that came into my head was, well, so you'll still get to heaven even if you're not all that good. And that, the devil began to play with that. So from there I went into, you know, junior high, and now I'm starting to play with sin. And not, you know, I mean, it's still very innocent compared to what you guys deal with today. And I remember having a, kid, a bunch of kids from our school. Now we're into junior high. And I'm not sure who bought it. I don't know how it happened. And I lived in, in a little town called Cholula, Puebla, which there's pyramids everywhere. 
And part of the pyramids, now they have a fence around them, they were just open, and we'd just hang out on the pyramids. That's where we played, you know? And we were all there, and somebody had a pack of cigarettes. Nobody knows where the cigarettes came from. But every one of our little Christian little kids says, we're going to smoke a cigarette. We're going to be really bad now. This is like seventh or eighth grade. And everyone there thought that as soon as you lit that thing, lightning would come and kill every one of us. That was it. There'll be just one greasy spot. I can still show you the tree. That tree's still there. We were all there around that tree. And everybody, everybody, nobody wanted to say it, but we were all scared because, you know, we're all going to this Christian school that says God's going to strike you down if you mess up. So somebody lit this thing, and everybody's like, oh, okay, let's back up. And guess what happened? Nothing. So that's sowed another seed. Well, maybe, maybe God's not just trying to kill all of us yet. Well, that, I'm not going to take you through the whole story, but those were the seeds that took me down a path of destructive of my life. Very innocent path, but very destructive, because now I figured I'll still get to heaven, but I don't have to be good. Well, I mean, there's a truth in there, because you can't get to heaven by being good, but the, but the, the toxicity of saying once saved, you're always saved at a child got me the idea that it doesn't matter what I do, I have Jesus in my heart. I can act like the devil, I can do whatever I want to, I can steal, cheat, lie, and I don't have a consequence. So to me, the reason I have, this is, this is a foundation, I, and I, there's a lot in here that I could tell you about, but that's why I hate religion. Because if somebody would have taught me the truth at that age, I would have saved 14 years of my life. Are you still here? And all of us have our little stories because it really doesn't matter what church you've gone to. You know, you, you know, maybe you grew up Catholic, you grew up Baptist, Pentecostal. It doesn't really matter. This church itself. You're not careful. That religious spirit will infiltrate. And I'm going to show you with the word all this that I'm saying. But it's, it's very important that you understand and recognize this. And recognize it in your life. Because most of our victories and most of our challenges, we face that spirit. So we're going to break it down this morning. And the other thing, so I'm thinking now, it must have been about, I want to say three years ago, maybe, and I read it here a while back. I remember it was, I think we were going, or I was going, it might have even been when we went to Turkey. Previous to that, it might have been that trip that H and I went overseas, but I was actually, I was going to work, I was going down south of Miranda City, ranch where I work at. And I was having, like, this conversation with God, you know, and I'm telling you, God will talk to you all the time. Can you say amen? You don't have to be all like, you know, he'll talk to you riding a Harley. He just has to talk loud if you ride, you know, when you're on a Harley. But he'll talk to you. And I heard this so clear in my spirit. Now, when I say I heard, and I'm also teaching you how to hear the Lord, I've never heard him audibly. He can do that. I've never heard it. But in my spirit, I hear him all the time. It's called a small inner voice. And you know it's him because usually it's not thoughts you would normally have. And I'm driving, and I'm thinking about our trip, and I'm thinking about all these things. I'm pretty sure that's when it was, because it was, you know, we were going to do this, and from there I was going to go to Ukraine. And you can get really busy being a Christian. Amen? Just like being busy doing anything else. You can be a busy contractor. You can be a busy engineer. You can be a busy Christian. That doesn't mean you're really being spiritual. You understand? So I had that aha moment, and I'm thinking... You know, I'm thinking about this trip, and then this little question popped in, and I'm going to read what I, what I, I, this thing just started. I said, I need, to, I need to record it. So I pulled my phone out, and I just started answering the question, you know, by myself. Some of you are thinking, Pastor has lost it. Well, that was four years ago, so I'm sure I found it by now, all right? So 
The question was, what does Christianity mean to you? Very simple question. I was coming over here. I remember, I can tell you exactly where it was. It was coming over that hill where the ojuelos are, right there. I mean, that little thing says, what does Christianity mean to you? And I, and I saw, because as a pastor, you know, I can give you the, oh, Christianity is, you know, give you the pastor answer. But that wasn't the question. The question, what does it mean to you? And that's a question you have to ask yourself, you know. Not a religious answer. So I thought about it, and then I pulled out my phone out, and I said, I'm going to record everything I say. Because it has to be one of those kind of answers. It can't be an answer that you're going to go study on. Are you here? You know, if somebody tells you, do you love me, and there's a big pause, yeah, you might have to look for somebody else to tell you, do you love me? <laughs> now, do you love me? Pause. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. Those are, those are answers that come naturally, right? Come on, guys, you better say yes when your wife says, do you love me, even though you're like, I know, I've told you like 15,000 times. But... No, it comes naturally. Well, that answer, I had to be there because I could, if I didn't do it that way, it begins to process into a pastoral answer. Do you get it? It'll, it'll, I'll go into my training and into all my things. Okay, Christianity is to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not what he asked me. He asked me, what does it mean to you? So I pulled out my phone, and I just started you know, saying, well, this is what it means. And all these really wonderful things came out, and then I, you know, once I had it on recorded, I wrote it out, and then I tweaked it a little bit here and there. And I just want to read you that, because this is really going to be the introduction to this. So, into the answer of that question, it's kind of long, but it came out this way, and I said, religion, so the question was, you know, what is Christianity to you? And my answer was, religion and people have defined Christianity as a set of demanded rules and forced choices, but Christianity is not defined by the mechanics of religion. Christianity is not a religious exercise. It's not just praying or going to church or giving or serving. Christianity is about personal choices in which we choose to die. First of all, to self. And I'm not talking about dying physically because we wouldn't be any good if we were dead, right? So that's not what that means. It just means dying to self. First of all, to self, thus eliminating selfishness and narcissistic tendencies in our character. In doing so, we choose to lay down our life for others. We are willing to pay the price of discouragement, disgust, betrayal, and ungrateful people, to lay down our vengeance, to forgive the unforgivable. We're willing to love the unlovable, touch the untouchable. We're willing to not follow the trends of the world and to do what is not popular. We're willing to take our time, money, and comfort and deposit this into the lives of people, not expecting anything back. See, now I'm, just, I'm just opening my heart to what, what, and it's just pouring out, and I know the Holy Spirit's involved in the answer, but it's just, you know, it's kind of like those things, it's just, and I'm saying these things, and I'm hearing myself say this because I was getting to the deep core of what Christianity meant to me. Now, it might mean something else to you, I'm just saying what it means to me. And then I put, Christianity is the highest form of sacrificial living. The church, the prayer, the serving, and the giving is not what defines us or drives us. These actions all come from a different place a place that is motivated by the internal drive that is ruled by the Spirit of God, which causes our inner man to be motivated by the ideas of eternity. Then this eternal being sends his son in human form, a man that shows up these principles by praying for lepers, healing the sick, restoring the prostitutes and sinners, and ultimately laying his life down for the joy that was set before him, the joy of us being seen beyond the natural and seeing us into the supernatural. And that's referring to the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, the joy that he had was to see you, all right? Then the next part was, this is not human service, but it's fueled by a vision and knowledge of eternity 
and its significance. We are driven and moved by this. We are not moved by the daily grind of the church life, day in, day out, praying for the sick, marrying and bearing people, crying and laughing with each other. It's so much more, it's so much more. Christianity is a choice that is influenced by God. But once a choice is made, we receive the heart of God, the agape. The agape is the love in the Greek for, for the love of Jesus. The influence of eternity. This begins to flow through our heart, through our will, our emotions, and the fight with ourself, our flesh, as Adam's nature never stops. And for those that are newer to this, Adam's nature just means the nature you had before Jesus. But that nature is still in you. Are you still here? But agape, wonderful agape, agape means an unconditional love, moves us, it moves our whole being, agape in us and through us gives us the win over the flesh and keeps the joy before us, the joy of eternity, hope, faith, and love. When all this flows, we end up with this crazy idea that we can actually change the world. When agape flows, it loves me, even though it knows, I'm sorry, there's a typo there, I'm not perfect, and in this life, I never will. But agape and grace, they embrace me, they encourage me to keep trying, growing, learning, and becoming a better person, and to make a difference. And that's what Christianity means to me. Well, that, you know, when I, when I went into that place, really a personal place to say, this is what it means. Then I understood why I do, because we, we, we are driven, you know. You know, we, we put ourselves in positions that are very uncomfortable. We spend a lot of money on, on people that we will never, ever, you know, even, even be friends with. You know, we invest in other people's lives. I was doing the math on, on Cuba between Faith Exchange from New York and, and ourselves. In the, since 2012, well, Faith Exchange got involved in 2016, but since 2012, and with Faith Exchange and the farm and the support, I'm, and I'm not talking about our expense, I'm just talking what we've invested in a nation, we're pu probably pushing close to $100,000 into a communist nation. Come on, somebody say glory to God. You see, because Christianity does birth that idea somewhere in your being, at least it happened to me, the crazy, crazy idea that, hey, you can actually change the world. But guess what we're doing? We are changing the world. We're not changing the whole planet, but we're, the, we're changing the world of a, of a handful of people in Santa Clara, Cuba. That Cuba, under the horrible circumstances they're living today, the farm that God told us to buy with no money, and then when, the, when we said we're buying the farm, the money showed up, is producing food that they desperately need today. Are you here? You know, we are history changers. Even if it's in the history of one person's life. And then I look back at the ministerial life and I say, well, you know, if you're not careful, you, you get tunnel vision and you really forget about what you do, what you do. So it always, you know, one of the things that always encourages any of these guys, any, any of our leadership, please, everybody listen to me. If something good is happening in your life, tell one of your leaders, tell somebody, tell me, let them know that what, you, what they're doing is making a difference. Because if not, then it's just like, okay, we got to go to work. No, we're here to make a difference. And, the, and world history is not changed just by taking over a nation. World history is by taking one individual that their life was a wreck and speaking life into their life, and somewhere around the point, their history changes. In other words, their trajectory of their life changes. Are you still here? So we all should be history changers. We all should have this, this huge sense of mission. But I can't, I see, I can't, I wish I could take that and just deposit it in every believer I know. I can't. That's just something that God 
put in my heart. But what I have discovered over the years, that the church, this church, Faithway, is surrounded by people that carry the same kind of vision. That they're willing to sacrifice, they're willing to lay their life down, they're willing to spend their money on people that you will never meet. So Christianity is really about continuing what Jesus did, right? Are you still with me? It wasn't ever about a church. This is just a building. You know, we could leave this building and they could put a store. Right? I was going to say casino, but those are all in Bruni, so that don't count. I mean, you know, it's just a building. The church is something else. The church is all of us. So with these ideas in mind, you know, the very first paragraph I read to you, if you can get back to that one, just the very first one, it's, and then I'm going to go to the, to the last one. It's religion and people have defined Christianity as a set of demands and rules and forced choices. But Christianity is not defined by the mechanics of religion. And with that in mind, I want you to go now to Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to read some scriptures out of there. And I, I've <laughs> I went through like three or four different translations, so I just stuck with the passion. I think the passion brought it home. I had a different one this morning, and I changed it out. I'm trying to make it very clear to you. So Mark chapter 7, it's up there on the screen, or just follow with your Bibles. It's a day in the life of Jesus. One day the Pharisees and certain religious scholars came from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus. They were shocked to find that some of Jesus' disciples ate bread without first observing the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating their meal. For the Pharisees, like other Jews, will not eat without first performing a ritual of pouring water over their cupped hands, to keep the tradition of the elders. Similarly, when returning from the marketplace, they ceremonially washed themselves before eating. They also observed many other traditions such as ceremonially washing the cups, pitchers, and kettles. So let me give you a little bit of history with that. Is in the Jewish, you know, religion, now it's been a little bit adapted, and actually Jesus calls them out on that here in a moment, they had this big thing of ritual washing. And the Pharisees would wash and wash and wash, and I could tell you how ridiculous it was. And one of the things that I've learned from studying the life of Jesus is that it seems like to me that he would do things on purpose just to get the attention of the religious people. It seems like to me, you know, I have this idea in my head that when we get to heaven, I don't know if we get to watch the video. I hope we do. It'd be really exciting to actually see how all this happened. But it seems like they were just hanging out on a Thursday, right? And the, and the disciples say, uh, hey, let's go preach, let's go. Jesus says, no, 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 just wait till Saturday. Because Saturday you're not supposed to do anything. But he would pick Saturday to do miracles. He would pick Saturday, and then he would do stuff like this. How did the Pharisees know they weren't washing their hands? Because they on purpose went to a bunch of Pharisees and did it in front of them. They weren't in their house eating without washing their hands. They did it where the Pharisees could see them eating and not washing their hands. So, he, so it seems like Jesus would pick at the religious system, even though that was his religion. He was a Jew by birth. Amen. But you, you begin to say, now watch what he's going to bring out, because this is the side of Jesus that a lot of people don't, you know, they don't see a lot. So let's keep reading. Um, verse 6. There we go. Jesus replied. Here we go. <laughs> you are hypocrites. How accurately did Isaiah prophesy about you phonies when he said, these people honor me with their words while their hearts run far away from me. 
Now you need to, if you're looking at your paper Bible, electronic Bible, if you can highlight that or taking notes, get a note of that. Their worship is nothing more than a charade, for they continue to insist that their man-made traditions are equal to the instructions of God. You abandon God's commandment just to keep men's rituals, such as ceremonially washing utensils, cups, and other things. Then he added, how skillfully you've become in rejecting God's law in order to maintain your man-made set of rules. Now, he's really digging now into this thing of religion. Because everything Jesus is saying, you know, I want you to go back into how you were raised. This, it doesn't necessarily is wrong. Not everything about religion is wrong. I mean, I'm talking to you know, I'm not going to say all these churches are wrong. But you're going to find this today. The same thing he's addressing is going on in every church, including this one, if we're not careful. Are you here? And he says, and I'll tell you what he says. Then he had, it says, how skillfully he would become in rejecting God's law to maintain it. And he brings out one principle from Jewish, from Levitical law. I want to clarify that. This was an Abrahamic law. But because of the choices of the Jewish nation, and it will take me an hour to explain this, so just trust me on this one or study it on your own. They are living within the Levitical law, which is over 600 and almost 630 different rules. And one of those rules, Levitical law includes a couple things. I mean, you got 600, right? Includes a lot of things. But there's a couple things. One of them, for example, if your kids are rebellious, you kill them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that would take care of rebellious, you know. The first one, did you hear Johnny? He got killed. Oh, no, no. All the kids behave now, you know. That was one of the rules. If your kids smart, if your kids came against the parents like kids do today, I mean, if that happened, to, if that was a rule today in the mall, there'd be a lot of dead kids in the mall. Because you've seen some of these kids behave, how they talk to their parents. Hello, parents. The way some of these kids talk to their parents, if that was me, I would have not had teeth. Anyway, let's not go there. But the other thing was, you were supposed to honor your father and your mother, which also meant. If your father and your mother were in need, you were supposed to take care of them. Say amen. amen. That's a good rule, right? I think, I think you know, I'm not going to track down that one, but I, I do kind of like a little bit of, on our, our Hispanic roots, Mexican roots. We Native American people are the same thing. In Mexico, it's very, 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 very rare to put up a, your parents up in a nursing home. They have them, but it's, it's, it's extremely rare. Usually it's if they don't have any family. Because families, we take care of each other. Amen, right? I already told my grandkids, I mean, when I get old, you get to wipe my butt. <laughs> I, done, I, I wiped all your butt for all these years, you get to wipe my butt. I'm just, I'm just, I know that's, that's, I don't know that came Where did that come from? No. I'm just tired. It's the truth, yeah, it's the truth. You're not going to you're not gonna be putting me in a nursing home. I'm going to keep my gun next to me. You start driving over there, there's going to be a lot of shooting going on. <laughs> you were supposed to take care of your parents. And if they needed finances, you were supposed to give them finances. Watch what Jesus called them out on. This is really interesting. I think it's just really interesting. So he says, for example, Moses taught us, honor your father and your mother, and whoever insults or mistreats his father or mother must be put to death. It's right there. You know, I just told you. But you were made up rules allow a person to say to his parents, I've decided to take the support you were counting on for me and make it a holy offering to God. Okay? Does that sound like... Some of the stuff that goes on today within Christianity. Come on, just send me $1,000. God will bless you. Do I got to feed my kids? No, no, no. God will take care of you. Give me the money. All right, we see that today. Come on, guys. 
I've decided to take the support you were counting on from me and make it my holy offering to God that will, that will be your blessing instead. You know what they were doing? They're doing exactly the same thing as some of these preachers on TV are doing today. They needed money, so they would twist the law, the religious law, and they would twist it just a little bit here and a little bit there to make it fit what? Their needs and their agendas. So Jesus is immediately calling all the others religious spirit. This is his religion. He's not criticizing another religion. It's not like we know we're Christians and we're criticizing, you know, we're, we're Baptists and we're criticizing the Catholics. No, this was, he was a Jew. And his family was a Jew and he was raised in rabbinical studies. He was studying to be a priest. He wasn't just some guy off the street trashing his church, but he was calling them out because they had taken grace, because God's always been about grace. Say, you guys need to react a little more. Amen. And now he's calling them out. And he says, you guys are doing this. So you guys are, you know, in other words, says, you're acting all holy, holy about us not washing your hands. What about you ripping off the people? Huh? Come on. What's worse, me not washing my hands or me stealing money from the poor and the needy? Me causing parents not to have their supply because I'm demanding that their kids bring the money to the church before they give it to their kids. I mean, to their parents. Which is worse? That's, you know, that's what you saying. Which is worse? Washing my hands? Not washing my hands? Or this? So, you know, the, 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 the exchange is really interesting. And then he goes on to say, how convenient. <laughs> the rules you teach exempt him from providing for his aged parents. How convenient. Do you really think God will honor your traditions passed down to others, making up rules that nullify God's word? And you're doing many other things, similar things. King James Bible says your traditions have made the word of God of no effect. And I, and I, I didn't start teaching this today with a question, but I sometimes when I teach along these lines, I'll say, especially in a, in a good charismatic church, I'll say, is there anything more powerful than the word of God? And the answer is no. There's nothing, and that's true, there's nothing more powerful, but there is something that will stop it. And it's right. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. There's nothing more powerful. The Word of God created the universe. The Word of God creates everything. But there's something that will stop its effect on your life, and it's traditional thinking. In other words, he's saying your religious thinking has caused God's words to have no effect in your life. That's what he's saying. He says, you know, you guys are over here all concerned about the washing of the hands. When what you're doing, there's darkness in that undertow by twisting scriptures and saying, hey, you give me your money because, you know, God said give the money to the church while your parents are suffering. I always tell all, you know, all our leadership knows, I, one, one thing when people move into leadership with Faithway, one thing I always tell them, I said, your first ministry, number one ministry is your family. Trust me why I say that, I know. Because sometimes you put your ministry before your family and then you pay a price for it. No, your first ministry is your family. Man, you are the priest of your house. And all the ladies said, amen. That's weird. Let's try it again. Men, you are the priest of your house. Amen. Let's hear some testosterone in the building, all right? Sad when all the testosterone comes from the ladies. Are you kidding me? Jeez, what's this world coming to? Our first ministry is our family. And basically, that's what Jesus was saying. He, he said, really? So... You see, now let me show you this one because I brought in from the message translation. Wow, this thing clicked really fast. It's clicking faster than I do. Okay, so the message, I just brought one paragraph 
because it really brings it in. Like I said, in all the different translations, it adds some really good insights. It says, these, these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. You know, religion is about, you know, relationship. What is relationship about? It's about your heart. Who do you hang out with? Most of the time, people you like. Well, I mean, hanging out, yeah, it has to be almost 100% people. You're not going to go hang out with somebody you can't stand on purpose. Somebody might force you. You got to go visit your tia. No, I don't want to go to my tia's house, right? But the people that you choose to hang out with, it's not a, in other words, it's not a religious decision. It's a relationship. It's a heart decision, right? So the message says these people make a big show of saying the right things, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. And now he's calling all the, now he's, again, he's, he's referring to this, you know, what he sees in the temple worship and all these things. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy, ditching God's command and taking up the latest fads. Well, that sounds like today, right? Some of these churches today, again, I'm not knocking it, but it sounds more like a motivational speaking than anything else. There's not really a challenge. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know you're a bad person, but Jesus loves you. No, you know, that's not going to get you through life, amen? So let's get into this. And I, and I, like I said, I've got covered most of the mes- message, but I just want to give you a few notes. Religion portrays godliness but has no power to back it up. And we have to begin to learn to recognize the spirit. We have to see it first and foremost in your life. Not in everybody, because it's really easy to see every, everything in everybody else's life. Say amen, you know that. Well, Jesus said something about a speck and a two-by-four, if you don't remember. And I think we need to start looking at our own life before we start trying to fix everybody else's life. Because religion, that's one of the characteristics. The Pharisees were dirty. They had all kinds of darkness. Jesus, I mean, there was a, oh my gosh, all this woke stuff, but it's been going on for a while. I'm not going to say her name, but she's a very, very well-known Christian author and married to a very famous Christian pastor and author. And I'm not going to say names because that, that would, that's not the point. But a few years ago, Trump said something about, well, he, he was talking, he was referring to the MS-13, and he called them something like animals or something like that. And the Christians all rose up and said, President Trump should never use the word animal referring to God's creation. And I'm thinking, Jesus called them vipers. Hello? I mean, Trump's not Jesus. You're judging Trump for not being a good Christian. You you don't have to judge Jesus for being a worse Christian. Do you see the stupidity? Because Jesus, you know who he called vipers? These bunch. And he didn't stop there. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you're you're white on the outside and black as night on the inside. I mean, he he didn't stop. He, He was on a roll. One day he got so mad, he went in the temple and flipped all their money-changing tables and whipped them. I guess that's not politically correct. So it's amazing to me that somebody would call out Trump for calling MS-13 animals and saying they're all God's creation when Jesus called the religious spirit vipers. Are you still here? See, you know, Jesus was, was very concerned about this because religion takes every connection to God, and that's the thing that... To me, as, as I was going through my foundation, saying, what do I tell my church? What, what, what made a difference in our life? Was that I, re, I saw the damage that it caused in my life. And I'm telling you, from the get-go, it's, you know, our, our mission statement 
didn't really change. We summarized it because it was like two pages long. And I remember H told me years and years and years ago, it was our mission statement has to fit on a T-shirt. Remember that you told me? And he, he's right because nobody will ever remember two pages. But, when, but our original mission statement, you can probably still go back and find it, said we are called. Number one, right off the top. This is Kelvin and Monica Box. When there was nothing, we are called to lead people from religion to reality. That was a calling on our life. I mean, I, that was written down in our mission statement. And our whole ministry for 30 years has been pretty much involved also this, to, to tell people, say, that, you know, get out of the religious thinking. Because God has so much more if you can move into a relationship thinking. And Satan has designed religion to keep people down. And I'm going to give you uh, some things that I came up with. So, for example, these are the characteristics of a religious spirit. These are the things that I've seen, and the Bible, you know, and, and for a lot of these things, every one of them has scripture, but like I said, I wanted to finish this today and not, and not take it into next week, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you scripture reference for every one of them, but if, you know, take a screenshot or make some notes and Google some of these. But this is so characteristic of any religious spirit. So don't, quit thinking about a church name. It could happen in Faithway. Hopefully it doesn't happen from our leadership, but sometimes, you know, you have leadership, then you have the subchurch. The subchurch is people talk, and they visit, and they comment, and they prophesy each other, and they don't know what they're doing. And some people, that's what my, my wife was a victim of that religious spirit. When, she, when I got saved, I saw it, and she saw it, and that's why she got healed, because for seven years in her life, they said God heals, but he also might be teaching you something. How can you believe for a healing miracle if you think God sent it? Come on, church, at least give me a grunt. That's pretty psychotic thinking, right? God, heal me. Oh, but God's trying to teach you something with sickness. Okay, don't heal me. Heal me. I don't know. Just do something, right? Now you don't know what to do. So once again, your mind and your faith is blocked. Because it is God's will for you to be healed. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I mean, you can't even stutter in that scripture. It shows God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working on one mission to destroy the works of Satan, which sickness and oppression was part of it. Amen. John 10.10. John 10.10, I always call it the dividing scripture. Because John 10, 10 settles it. I have come to give you life and life in abundance. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life in abundance. So boom, there it is, right? Dividing scripture. This is what God does. This is what Satan does. But religion can't handle that. So it, 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 think about all the stuff that the Bible says that God does and all the things that the Bible says that are a blessing and all the things that the Bible says that are a curse. That's why you need to spend time in the Word, guys. You can't just go on, oh, I got it Sunday. No, you need to find some of this stuff for your own. Because the more you realize that sickness is not part of, my, part of the deal, I reject it with everything. I rejected COVID when COVID first started. You guys remember that? When we first started, I said, We're t I'm taking a Holy Ghost COVID shot right now. They hadn't even invented it yet, the flu shot. I mean, the COVID shot. We don't, you know, we're fine. Because my God said, by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. My God said in Psalm 91, that even 1,000 will fall to one side and 10,000 will fall to your side, that plague will not touch you. That's what my God said. But see, there's hundreds, still today, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians hunkered down in their house because they're scared of getting COVID. 
You know, I say respect it and do what you need to do. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Wash your hands and do all that. But you can't walk in fear. Are you still here? So one of the things that religious spirit does, I'm just going to, it brings condemnation. You're always under a guilt trip. You're never good enough. But then again, I'm, and again, I'm just going to throw the scriptures out there to, to, you know, give a foundation to my position on this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have choos- chosen to live by the Spirit of God. Now, that's what the Bible says. But religion brings condemnation. Even in a charismatic church like this, I have found it in my life as a pastor, I've got to be careful. Now, there's, there are consequences for your separation from God, but there's not condemnation. Does that make sense? You separate yourself from God. You know, you guys that come to church here a lot all the time, stop coming for about a month. Don't read your Bible for a month. Just disconnect completely. And then a month from now, come back and tell me, ooh, my life was awesome, Pastor. By the second week, you're going to be like, oh, man, what did I do? No, because life without God is always messed up. All right? The condemnation tells you this. You're not praying enough. You ever heard that one? You know, we have, you know, when we have our prayer services and somebody's going through something and you're at, you're at the prayer service and they're not, well, they should be at prayer service. They were here. I mean, there's a truth. Our, last Wednesday, are you kidding me? Right, Janie? How was that testimony? You want to share that real quick? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm still... Listen to this. Go for it. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for that. Thank you, Jamie. You know, when she when she called me Thursday morning, we're we're, we're going to Corpus and. She was sharing her morning because I mean, I just tears started going down my. I said, God is so awesome. And I'd be honest, maybe I, I know this person, I might not, but I wasn't thinking about that. But you know, our prayer services, we pray for so many people we don't even know. And then we hear that we were praying for a little girl in Mexico City, right? Araceli Romina. I never met her. And she was in a dire need. And last Wednesday, Araceli brought the praise report that the baby's healed. I mean, the little girl's healed. And she's, well, she's, she's dealing with cancer and other things. You know, God is this amazing being that wants to love us. So here's my question. You know, these people that we don't know, we just prayed for them, and they got healed. Why? Because there's no condemnation in this. You know, God is a merciful, loving God that wants to move. 
But religion has said, no, we're not good enough. We're not praying enough. We're not giving enough. We're not going to church enough. We're not, we're not, we're not. And, and Christians are striving and striving and striving. And pretty soon you got a church full of people. They're always here, but they're all here. They're here because of fear. They're not here because of love. Because somebody told me, you better go to church because if you don't go to church, all hell's going to break loose. I said, there's a truth in there, but you got to find the truth without the condemnation. Yeah, life without God doesn't work. That doesn't mean God is messing you up. God is not like us. If you don't, you know, you think because you miss church, coming from a pastor, I'm going to say something, but I'm going to try to set you free also. If you miss church, do you think God loves you less? You think the blood of Jesus has less value because you, you just slept in today? Amen? I'm trying to set free all those of you that did sleep in. <laughs> that are like, oh, pastor, I didn't change my clock. God loves you. God loves you. And we do have push pay, by the way. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Seven, seven, nine, seven, seven, right? Anyway, anything. I don't care if it comes from a preacher. I don't care if it comes from a pastor. I don't care where it comes from. Make sure it doesn't condemn you. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn. The Holy Spirit convinces. King James Bible says convicts. That's a hard word. The actual word is convince. In other words, the Holy Spirit, when you're, when you're off on the wrong path, he'll, he'll, um, he'll try to herd you back in lovingly. And he might even poke you a little bit, but he won't break your bones. And then if you want to be an idiot, he'll just let you be an idiot. No, that's the truth. You keep walking out. You walk off God, they're, they're, he'll put spiritual bumpers in your life to try to get you, you know, almost like a herding dog. He'll try to, come on, you've got to get back. But if you keep being nesio, the Holy Spirit respects you and loves you enough to say, all right, I'm just going to have to slip back. And then when you get yourself in a hole and cry out to him again, guess what? He runs over there and gets you out of the hole again. That's grace. But you don't have to get in the hole if you don't want to. But condemnation is one of the worst things that I see in church. That's the worst thing even, you know, if you're not careful, it comes off the pulpit. If you're not careful, so, so make sure you don't, you know, you get delivered. Because you could be on two sides of this. You could be the person that condemns the person for not coming to church. Or you could just be the person that thinks you're not doing enough. But what are you going to do? You're going to put yourself on a cross? You can't do that. Jesus already did that. Amen? Number two, it's religion always blames God. Even your, I don't know, I haven't read one in years, but back a few years ago, even your insurance policies blames God for everything. You know, your house is covered for this, for this, for this, for this, and then in the little fine print says, except acts of God. I'm thinking, what, he's going to just dump love on us, or money, or healing? No, you know what, they are, what they're taking? Religious thinking, saying, well, you know, if a tornado, a fire comes and burns your house down, well, that's an act of God. You probably just sinned, and yeah, well, we don't cover that, Sorry. Yeah, we don't, that's a good one. H said, we don't cover divine retribution. <laughs> that's on you, right? So, you know, religion blames God for everything. That's what I'm saying. You know, sickness, well, God sent it. Does he heal? Yeah, he heals, but he also sent it. No, he didn't send it. That's not his. He didn't create it. But religion blames him for it. And you know why he does that? Because at the end of the day, guys, I'm, I'm going to go way ahead of my message. Religion's about control. It's all about control. It's all about one person controlling another person. And God never designed this for nobody to be in control of another person. Another thing that bothers me is that religion teaches that poverty is a blessing. And that has done so much damage to, to the gospel because poverty is not a blessing. You think it's a blessing? I'll take you to Cuba and you see how blessed they are. Ask a Cuban if they think it's a blessing when they don't have food to feed their kids. Huh? Not a blessing. But religion has taught you, well, you know, you have to be poor to be humble. 
And what has happened, the church believed it, and because of that, the church has limited their ability to change the world because money does help change the world. Amen? I was in Ukraine many, many years ago, probably 2008, and we were planning a really big event. The next year, we went to plan it. We were going to have this massive youth concert, and it was going to, you know, we were going to rent all this audio. It was, it was a lot. It was a big, big, big thing. And it, it, it turned out to be a big thing. We, I don't know what the number was. Some people said it was maybe two or 4,000 people at that event. It was just huge. But um, we went a year before, and I remember having, I was with an uh, interpreter that she wasn't really that good at it. Um, she was very good in English, but, you know, it's one thing to speak English, and another thing is to interpret English. And I felt real sorry for her, but... We were at this big meeting, and Gabriel was with me, and we had an interpreter, and all these pastors, all the pastors, we were, going, we were joining all the churches of, of the city. That city's actually been destroyed now by the Russians. That's one of the cities they took over when they infiltrated Ukraine, um, city of Lugansk, Ukraine. You can look it up. It's close to the Russian border. And we were there, and we're sitting there, and, and I don't know how the conversation came about, but I said something that just ignited a fire... It was hilarious. It was hilarious in a bad way, but I said, they were going on and on, and, and the, the interpreter was, everyone's talking, and she was, I, said, I told her, look, just tell me the main points, because she was, they were wearing her out. She, she was a, she was probably 20 years old. She didn't have a lot of experience. And I said a statement, I said, you know what the problem is? I guess they were talking about money. That's what it was. I mean, because it's hovering around the budget. And we're saying, well, we're coming, you know, we're going to pay for this thing. And they're trying to figure out all this. And I said, you do realize that you can destroy the devil with money, right? I said that. It was like if I had said the most blasphemous thing ever. One got up and he went off in Russian, like pointing his little boy in my face, and I don't understand anything he said. You know, he's like he's just going off in Russian, and the interpreter, she's all scared, and, and I says, "What did he say?" You know, he told me all this nonsense about, you know, it's not about money, and that money, you know, money. I'm almost like money is evil, but it takes money to do these events. It takes money to buy tickets. It takes money to buy farms in Cuba. But the church believed because the devil planted the lie that you were supposed to be broke to be holy. And now the church believed to be broke, and that's why the church might have been holy, but they didn't have no money. And they couldn't get nothing done for years and years till in the last, you know, 60 years, people came with a revelation that says, God can prosper you. God can put some money in your hand for his glory. And you guys heard enough of the, you know, blessed to be a blessing. Can I hear an amen? amen. We have to have some to give some. Well, this went on, and I said, listen, and he, after he settled down, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I meant by that, because he, he got so upset about that statement because it didn't, wasn't spiritual enough for him. I said, okay, Lugansk is a, is a city with a lot of crime, a lot of problems, just like any big city. I said, what happens if we had unlimited resources right now? I mean, just blank check, basically, billions of dollars. I said, I could come to this city. I could buy every bar, close it down, I could put rehab centers, they have a huge drug problem, primarily um, opiates because, you know, they're close to Afghanistan and all that. And I said we could put rehabilitation centers, we could put educational centers, we could build hospitals, we could build orphanages. Are you still here? We could pay every church off because in Ukraine everybody rents. It's very, very rare for somebody to have a church building. Some, a few churches do, but it's very rare. And I said we could just buy churches, you know, unlimited funds. And, and, and bring this whole city to the glory of God. Yeah, money's, money's not going to get you to heaven, but money could change the environment. Do you agree with that? You could make, you could, I mean, you could just, because with money, everybody's going to sell. Everybody has a price. I don't care if that guy has a bar and says, you know, I want, what, 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 what do you want? Well, I'm not selling. You just keep adding zeros. He's going to sell. 
Hello? And if somebody comes and offers me a couple billion dollars for the ranch, it's, it's gone. <laughs> I love the ranch, man. But two billion? Hmm. Maybe one billion? Yeah, maybe half a billion. Yeah. You want to make an offer? No, <laughs> we're, we're trying to say so if you can make a deal with him. You know, money is just a tool. But religion taught you it was evil. And, and religion said that if you had money, maybe you weren't holy. Well, I know a lot of broke people that are very unholy. You know some of them. You're related to some of those people. And I know some people that have a lot of money, and they're very holy people. They do good with their money. They bless people. They help people. They build things. So one of the big lies of religion is you've got to be poor. Now, another one, I was going to put scriptures and all this. I said, boy, if I do that, we'll never get done. What about judgmental? That's, a, that's when we all have to be careful. I have to catch myself on this one. Let's be honest. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. You know that. Judging everybody, judging everything. One of the things that I hope that faith will always, always be, and we always tell it to everybody, and listen to me online, people, if you're watching or you're sharing our message, I can promise you, at least from me, my wife, and our leadership, you will never, ever be judged in this church. I don't care where you care. I could care less what kind of, I don't care less how you're dressed. I mean, just wear something, right? I mean, because Jesus wasn't about that. But, you know, Christians, we tend to judge. We judge non-Christians. We judge Christians when Jesus said, judge not, because if you judge, your heavenly Father is going to judge you. Because what happens with, when you become a judge, you put yourself in a position that you've got to be tested for the things that you're being judged. So if you're judging for somebody that's committing adultery, which as bad as it is, and you're judging that and making comments, guess what? You're going to have to be tempted with the same thing. You will be tempted for the same thing. Because you don't have a right to judge somebody that's stealing unless you've been tempted with stealing. Hello. That's, what, that's why you shouldn't be judging. Because only a righteous judge can judge. Are you, are you here? And God said, don't judge. Because if you judge, you will be judged by God according to the judgment that you pass. So religion is full of judgment. How many have been to very judgmental churches and judgmental religion and judgmental everything? Next one. It makes people try to earn their way to heaven. Religion in, in, in one of its core beliefs is you got to work for it, you got to work for it, you got to, come on, keep coming to, you know, and our modern version is make sure you come to church. Make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And pretty soon as you're more concerned about doing all the activities that the church or religion is asking of you versus developing a relationship with God. Your number one priority is your relationship with God. That's number one. Yes, you can serve in the church, you can play in the band, you can serve in all the different ministries that we have, you can go on mission strip, but at the end of the day, the number one, number one, number one, number one is your relationship with God. Because everything drives from that relationship. And if that relationship's not what's driving you, then religion is driving you. So, you, you, so, so make sure you understand grace is absolutely free. And what I meant with that, and I read it in my opening statement, was we're all imperfect. Every one of you, including myself, we're all, none of us are qualified. And he said, well, if you preach that, then people, no, no, we're imperfect, but we do have a heart towards perfection. Does that make sense? We're not just saying, oh, well, I'm just going to sin, you know, I feel like you know, whatever, no. We know, my, my little pet phrase that I use here all the time, it says, we're not perfect, but we're pointed. We're pointed to that cross. We're pointed to the glory. We're pointed to God. We're not acting like he does, he's not real. 
There's a lot of things that my flesh wants to do, but I don't do, not because I'm, I'm a religious person. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Come on. Your flesh, if you let it go, whew. Come on. I mean, most of you, yeah, I know y'all look real holy this morning, but you know what I'm talking about. It turns prayer, this is a big one for me because one thing I know works is prayer, into a form of godliness that there's no power. You know, it's like, oh, those people pray all the time. Well, that's wonderful, but, you know, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday about a different situation, but the example was the same. You know, if you, if you tell me you're an apple tree, at some point of your life, there's going to have to be some apples. I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree. Okay, I believe you, I believe you, I believe you. Ten years later, there hasn't been one apple come out of you? Yeah, you're not an apple tree, you're a liar. You're something else, but you're not an apple tree. Because that's what form of godliness says. Some people say, well, I pray. Really? I pray all week. So how, why are you so mean? Why are you so broke? Amen. Prayer is one of the most important things every one of you should develop, and it's a conversation with God. You have to be able to talk to the Lord because your relationship will not grow. Where do, all these, where do these messages come from? From prayer. I depend on him. Like, yeah, even last night, I was going back and forth, and the lights went out, so I couldn't finish my study time, and I was like, really? But it has to be, what do the people need, Lord? And even before, I, when I was there in praise and worship, I'd say, God, use me to bless the people. If he wants to, and he's happy, and he's, he's changed messages from there to here. Completely. Because it's not my will, it's his will. You know where that comes from? From prayer. That's what, you know, it says, Pastor, you know, that's really cool that you were driving down the road and God told you this. You know where that comes from? From prayer. You develop the conversation. You develop the voice. But religion turns it into a form of godliness. And I'm telling you, Jesus talks so much about this. He said, you know, he said, when you pray, go to a private place. Somebody say, that's, you, you shouldn't public pray. That's not what he meant. Because they would make a big show of it. They would tear their clothes. They would put ashes on their head. Oh, we're holy or we're unworthy. And they would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray for hours. And Jesus was calling his own religion out on this. So prayer, you know, turns prayer into a form of godliness, but prayer with no power. The other thing it does, it allows selfishness. Religious people, for the, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about my personal experience with a religious spirit, there's two things that I've identified. See if you agree with this one, H, or not, because you've met a bunch, too. <laughs> We've probably met the same bunch. There's two characteristics of a religious, not, 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 not 100% and everybody, but there's two dominant traits in a religious spirit. One, they're selfish. They don't give. They're not generous. They don't support anything. They throw a dollar in the offering. They think they gave a million. I'm not, if the dollar's all you got, God bless you. I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. And the other thing is, again, none of this is 100%, but it just seems, when I see a religious spirit, I'm just thinking in the back, I'm saying, hmm, they got some sin that they're trying to cover up. There's something dark in them. And they put on a big facade of religious sin. So hopefully you can't see through that. And, but you just sit there and watch and watch, and a few years later they have like a big scandal in their life or something. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying things that I've learned. But one of the things is that religious spirit tends to take away 
that generosity, that serving, that giving thing that God... Because when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, that giving spirit comes into your heart. Because for God so loved the world that he... Finish it. Gave. The love of God comes with a generous approach to life. You begin to realize that you're not taking any of it. And you begin to realize that you can be good with, your, with the things that God has given you. Amen? And you can make a difference and you can help people. But religion, no, religion wants it all for itself. Number The next one, it turns a church service into either forums for emotionalism and entertainment. And this can go to all different extremes. You can go to church service that is hyper, you know, the third, you know, it's got all the ceremony. And by the way, you know, not all traditions are bad. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's a lot of things that we have. To, you know, tradition is not a bad thing if the traditions are word-based. For example, communion. That's a traditional thing we do, but that's a good thing. Water baptism. You could say, well, that's a tradition, but that's a great thing. And it's a spiritual thing. You know, so, so, so necessarily traditions aren't necessarily bad, but if you're not careful, pretty soon the church service is driven by something else than the Holy Ghost. And you can go to two extremes. You can go to the church service where everybody just hears condemnation all day. Everybody's beat up. Everybody's hurt. They don't get answers. They just get, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. That's all they hear. You have that version of religion. You're not good enough. You're a dog. And then you have the other one, which is, oh, Jesus loves you. You just live however you want to. You'll get to heaven. You know? And you have to find a balance between that. Because it'll take a church service and it becomes a form for emotionalism. Church, this is a family gathering. This is a conversation. This is not a service. That's what I'm saying. I know, I know that when I say things, I know there's a thought. Of, somebody could have had that thought. It says, you know, Pastor, if you tell people that they don't have to come to church and God still loves them, they, don't, they might not want to come to church. I am so confident that people that love God want to be in church that I can say that. Because hopefully you want to be here this morning. Hopefully those of you online want to watch it online. But if you're feeling that you have to be here, you need to, you need to do a heart check. Amen. God, there's no have to's with God. There's only want to. That the more you fall in love with God, the more the greater the desire to be in his presence becomes. In other words, you, you become addicted to God. You can't be without it. You can't, you know, I don't know how, what your life is, but I can't be without God. Amen. You know, hopefully you're looking forward for Sunday morning. Hopefully it's a highlight of your week saying, yeah, well, you know, church is a highlight. And pretty soon you get to the point in your life where going to church is not even a conversation anymore. Everyone in your house knows that Sunday morning you're in God's house. They don't even have to ask you if you want to go somewhere because they know the answer already. Anybody want to talk about it? Hey, we're going to go to the mall. Y'all have fun. I'll catch up with y'all. Yeah, we didn't even invite you because we know you're a church person. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Amen. You should tell them, well, you should too. Your life would be way better if you come with me. So, you know, this is a family gathering. This is not a church service. This is our, our God speaks to us. The praise and worship this morning was so awesome. The presence of God was just here. You know, that connection. You can't get that. You know, again, online people, we love you guys, but it's really hard for that to transfer into the online service. The presence pours into this building. That people want to, want to draw to that. You came in heavy loaded. You came in with all the garbage of the week on you. And before praise and worship, that thing just melted off of you. Anybody? Now your heart, you know, why do you, say, why do you, why do you think we have a song service before the word? To clear up your mind and your spirit and get all that nasty stuff off of you so now the word can come in 
and f- make a good deposit in your life. Amen? See, that's, that's, that's what church is, and, and it's not a service. It's an experience in the presence of God. So religion will turn church service into something else. Because I'm sure I've been to those services where you can't hardly stand to get out of there. Anybody? Don't raise your hand if you thought about it in this church, because I will be offended. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, you've been to those services. When I was growing up as a kid, by the time I was, by, by the time I was like 8, 9, 10, I figured out how, how the sermon worked. And at the Baptist church, they would give you a little guide in Mexico City. And my mom would sit me there. And sometimes I'd go to children's church, sometimes I'd not, because it was really boring, to be honest with you. And I figured out, oh, the pastor's preaching off of this thing. So I didn't really care what he was preaching. I was just tracking it, H. Yes, I was there. I was, yes, he's done. Yes. That's sad, but that was the only reason I was following, you know? That's what religion does to you. You don't want to be in church. <laughs> I didn't want to be in church either. I always make a joke that when I was a kid, they drugged me to, to go to church. But not with drugs, they just drugged me. They drugged me. Come on, you're going to church. No, I don't want to go to church. You know? It takes away your personal responsibility. Religion blames everything on somebody else except you. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Because growth can only come from taking responsibility. You know, responsibility in the, in, the, in the real world, you guys know it has nothing to do with age. There are teenagers that have been faced with very hard decisions in their life where maybe they ended up being the dad of the house and they've had to support their families and support their kids. And they're way more mature at 18 than somebody that I know in 40 or 45. Amen. They act more like an adult because responsibility is what causes you to grow up. And religion takes away your responsibility. Why? Because it blames everything on everything except you. And it's not about blame, but one of the things that I really, I I said this at the beginning of the series, but that I really embraced at the beginning of my walk with God, that I just love the fact that somebody told me, you have a say in this. That it wasn't just, que sera, sera, you know, maybe God will, maybe God won't. That's religion. I found out that I could use the word as a tool. I found out that God answered prayers that were prayed according to his word. Are you tracking with me? See, there was a personal responsibility. I found out that it was up to me to get into the Bible. It was up to me to, and by the way, if you keep reading about what Jesus was talking, it was way too long. The next thing he talks about, if you see the same story that I just read from, from Matthew's perspective, he goes immediately to talk about the words in your mouth. He goes from that to, hey, you got what you say. See, those are things that I'm still learning today. Because we say some dumb stuff, right? So religion, no, religion is like, well, God's beating you up. Well, what if God's not beating you up? Well, then the devil's beating you up. Okay. But if you give me $1,000, God will fix it all. You see, you see that? that? You see where that's witchcraft? Because there's no responsibility there. Oh, I just throw money at it. And people just fall into that little thing. If I just throw enough money at it, God will do something. You got a better chance going down to Bruni throwing money at that. You're still going to go broke either way. You're not going to win. That's not what this is about. This is about taking the word of God, because even giving and tithing, it comes from a decision caused by the word of God. It doesn't come from pressure from a preacher. I will preach it, but I'll guarantee, and I've said it for many years, and hopefully you feel that way, you will never have a high-pressure offering in this church. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been to a lot of churches. If you go to some churches, they'll beat you to pieces to get the money out of you. Uh Uh-huh. Not here, I don't care. I really don't care. I love you. If you guys don't give anything, I don't care. 
Well, what if the church shuts down? I take a vacation. I got a whole bunch of other churches that want to hear what I got to say, guys. But I love you most. That's why I'm here. No, it doesn't, it doesn't phase me at all. But I will tell you the truths of tithing. I will tell you the truth. Why? Because that's personal responsibility. You know? To, to try to live an honorable life, to try to be a decent father, to try to be a, a great husband, to try to be a good wife. You know, all these things come from taking responsibility for what the Word said. It, by the way, husbands, it tells you how to treat your wives. Come on, ladies, I'm helping you. Say amen real loud, ladies. Amen. And ladies, guys, this is, come on, I need to hear some testosterone. Come on. Ladies, it tells you how to treat your husband. Amen. No, I mean, you guys are weak, 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 weak. It tells you how to raise your kids. It tells you how the kids are supposed to behave. Amen. It tells you how to use your money. And I know you guys don't like this one because I don't like this one either. It even tells you how to eat. We're not going there, Pastor. No, we're not going there. But it does, religion does take away your personal responsibility. It's either they blame it all on God, or they blame it all on the devil, or they blame it all on your mom, or they blame it all on everything. But, but it's, it's hard for you to just come to terms and say, no, I need to make a decision in my life and get this thing right. Amen? It deceives people into sinning under grace. That's kind of a newer trend, but it's still a trend out there. And if you haven't heard of the hyper-grace message, you better find out because it's out there. And basically it's Calvinism 2021 version. They don't, it doesn't sound like Calvinism, but it's like, oh, you know, God loves you, you know, party like a rock star, you'll be fine. And I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but you're going to live way, 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 way under what God will do for you. Because God's tendency to blessing is exactly the same tendency if you're a good parent that you would bless your kids. If you have a good kid and a bad kid, you don't really love one. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people can do that. I don't know how that works because I love all my kids the same. Amen? If you talk to them, they, they both think that I love the other one more. That's how they, exactly. If I ask one, you love him, you love him, or I love you all the same. But if one's behaving and the other's not, where is your tendency to be a blessing? If the one's like being a real idiot and you just keep supporting it, you're going to create a monster. I mean, you get so much free stuff here. This is, I, I should charge for parenting classes. Right <laughs> really? Yeah, don't go buy him the $150 tennis shoes after he cussed you out. Y'all don't want to hear that because you guys are extraordinarily good parents. So let's keep going. Um, you don't sin under grace. Once again, I already mentioned this point. We're not perfect. Not one of us is perfect. Pray for me. I, I, I'm, I might be the most imperfect of all of you. But we're pointed. We're trying to get this thing right. I'm not, I'm not sinning on... When, if I sin, trust me, it's not on purpose. If I get angry and blow up and scream in my house... I need to control my flesh. I need, to, I need more love. I need more understanding. And hopefully, my family that hears me every Sunday, hopefully you guys have seen a change over the years. Because hopefully I'm not the, even, I'm talking even as a pastor. Hopefully I'm a better pastor. Hopefully I'm a better dad. Because I take responsibility. Amen? You know, and we don't sin just because we have grace. And the other last one is, you know, one of the characteristics of religion is very hypocritical. You will find in a religious environment that you will hear a lot of things that you're supposed to do, that you will look at the person that's telling you to do it, and they're not doing any of it. And that's what Jesus was calling out. He said, you guys are telling everybody the way they're behaving, but the way you guys are behaving doesn't line up with what you're saying. 
So, you know, you got to make sure, you know, that doesn't mean you judge your preacher, judge, you know, because we're all imperfect, and hopefully I pray to God I never let you guys down. But we're all still humans. Amen. Don't be a hypocrite. Hypocrite, just, you know where the word hypocrite comes from? It's not, it's, it's, be, it's used differently, but it's a, um, it's a word from, the root word, if I, you can correct me, Diana, on this, but because I know you're involved in the dramas, and it comes from Hippocrates' stage. It's a stage word, and it means to wear a mask. It was, it was used for theater. It's a thea- theatrical word. That's what I'm thinking. And it means simply to wear a mask. And I think one of the biggest damages we have is that Christians wear too many masks, including preachers. I want a preacher that's the same here, that talks the same here, that talks the same over there. You know, I get it. There's presentations. There's, there's styles of speaking. I'm not judging that. I'm just saying I don't want somebody to tell me I'm, I'm this guy behind the pulpit, but I'm this completely different person on the front of the end of the pulpit. But that, that's not just for preachers. That's for everyone in this room. When you call yourself a Christian, let me tell you what all the other people are looking. They don't care what you call yourself. They're watching you. They're watching your life. Even though their life might be a mess, they're still watching your life. And I think that's a big one because religion is a lot about wearing masks. There's a Sunday mask, and then there's an everyday mask. So those are just a few things. Let me close it up with a couple scriptures. Hopefully this is helping you this morning. James 1:26. This is such a powerful, powerful scripture. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So right off the get-go, before we read, he says, if you think you're religious, I mean, this is so simple, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. He says, if you think you're a religious person but you can't control your tongue, the only person that you're deceiving is yourself. That's exactly what he's saying. If you're a religious person, you say, I love Jesus, and then you're just talking trash about everybody and their mother, you know, you, you, you might be deceiving yourself to thinking you've got this thing right, but, not, but God knows you're not deceiving it because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. You know, I said this last Sunday in Laredo Church, and it came out wrong. But I said, when you talk, everybody's going to know what you're full of. And then I said something like, so talk, and we'll find out if you're full of it. (laughs) You can say you're all there, right? Back to that apple tree, guys. Listen to the second part. Oh, by the way, let me give you a fun definition of the word religion. If you go to Webster's, it means, you know, devotion to God and all that. But, but, the, but the Latin word, it's, it's, two, it's a compound word. And it means re, which means to come back. And the word, I think it's ligado or legado, which in Spanish we, we, we would take the word liga, which means rubber band. Right? So it means all that to say the word religion. One of, one of its definitions, if you go down to deep, deep down to the roots, it means back to bondage. Isn't that interesting? Back to bondage. So religion, listen to what James said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, listen to what he says, the father is is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, religion was nothing about going to church. I mean, according to James, he says, you know, real religion really has about three parts. Number one, How's your tongue? Number two, are you being a blessing to people in need? Widows and orphans. And he uses those because those were like the worst situation you could be in the first century would be to be an orphan or a widow. If you were an orphan, you'd probably become a feral kid. They would throw these kids out in the street and they'd make gangs of kids. 
It was very, and, and widows, if they didn't have anybody else in their life, they would usually become prostitutes or thieves or something because there was nobody to support them. So this was a very first century problem. But in other words, James is saying you're not meeting the needs of other people. You say, you want to call yourself religious? What are you doing for your neighbor? You think you're all religion because you go to church? No, going to church doesn't make you religious. What are you doing to be a blessing to somebody? You think you're all religious, but you're still, you know, you're still doing everything the world does. There's nothing changed in your life. You still party. You still sleep around. You still, you still do. And again, now this is no judgment. I'm just saying what the Bible does. Because the Bible should be taking us on a path of grace, but it should be taking us on a path of change. Thank you, Diana, for that. Amen. It is. I mean, grace is about change. It's not about getting away with it. If you just want to get away with it, just don't be a Christian. Why worry about it, right? Just party. But if you want to be a Christian, there is a change, and there should be something in your heart tugging you, the, the convincing, the spiritual bumper that says, come on, man, you need to stop that. Come on, come on, adjust, adjust. That's, that's the spirit of God. But religion, you know, tells you, you know, you want a real religion? Are you being a blessing? Are you trying to change your life, right? Are you trying to not look like the world or the people can't even tell the difference? You talk like the world, you smell like the world, you do everything the world does? Because right now, more than ever, the world has gone absolutely insane. How many know when I say the show Twilight Zone? Anybody know what I'm going I think we're living in Twilight Zone. I told Caden yesterday, I said, since, since COVID, this world went into the twilight zone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to have to YouTube it. But it was a really good series in black and white. Some of you, they made them in black and white? Yeah, way back. I told him this. This might be prophetic. I said, the only thing that's missing now is for the, for the aliens to appear. I'm ready. I mean, what else, can go, I mean, what else weirdness is going to happen now, right? We're living in a strange time. And we're living in the times that the Bible says the time will come. When people will call those things that are good bad, and the things that are bad, they will call them good. That's, that's prophesied thousands of years ago. What do you think all this cancel culture and all this woke generation, what do you think all that is? All this tolerance, but the tolerance is only one-sided. You notice that? It's not tolerance to us as believers. It's not tolerance to your Christian faith. And they're coming after God. Get ready. You think they're just going to stop? <laughs> they're coming after this. They already are, actually. There's some legislation there that they think they're going to make us have to practice gay marriages. Well, they're, they're going to have to learn something about this preacher because that ain't happening. I mean, I love people. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying we're not going there because this law is greater than their law. Amen. Oh, yeah, I'll go to prison for it. You don't think I will? Well, I probably won't go to prison. I'll just move to Mexico. They can't find me down there. I could go to the Carpathian Mountains in Ukraine. They'll never find me over there for sure. Now, now, religion, from God's perspective, and here the word religion is, mean, is meant in the, in the, pretty much in the Webster's definition. James is saying, your devotion to God is not something you say, it's something you show. Amen. Other people should call you a devoted Christian. Uh-huh. Don't call yourself a devoted Christian, be a devoted Christian. But other people will identify that. Say, I want to be like you. Because any, all this was about God's love. Amen? Almost done. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you guys for listening this morning. I think that's that the what, last one. That's it, right, RJ?
So in summary, I just want to read one statement that's not on the slide. It says, when God is presented in love and compassion, this will always heal and build up. When you present God in love and compassion, it will always heal and build up. When God is presented through religion, this will injure and tear down, always. So this morning, I want to leave you with this challenge. Do some soul searching this week. See if there's religious tendencies in you. And, and the way you do it is not just trying to judge yourself, because, you know, you don't want to be judgmental even for yourself. What you do now is you build your relationship side with God. That's really what this message is about. Practice prayer every day. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. And if you, I know the prayer sounds a little religious. Practice conversations with God. Let him point out the things. Let him point out the areas. That, that, and he will. And he'll do it in a very loving way. And pretty soon you begin to mold your life. You begin to mold your life. You begin to mold your life. And hopefully next year we'll all be better Christians. Can you say amen? But we're constantly striving to adjust. Go ahead and stand. Hope you got something out of all that this morning. Why don't you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Come on, church. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for the challenges that have been set before us, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord. I'm the first one in line. Keep talking to me, God. There's so many things I need to fix, so many things that we can do better. And, Father, we just thank you that, that the heart of Faithway was the heart of Faith Life Outreach almost 30 years ago. The foundation was that we were called to lead people from religion to a reality based on covenant thinking, based on the covenant of God. And Father, I pray right now for all those that are watching online, for those that are in this building. And if there's somebody in, in listening to this message live or listening to this message in a podcast, it's still the truth. And you do not know Jesus. You have not given your life. Listen to me. I'm not asking you to give your life to a religion. I'm not asking you to devote your life to a church. But I do encourage you, give Jesus some room. Get him as your partner. Your life might be all messed up. You might be doing all, un, all kinds of things that you're condemned about. That's the best time to give Jesus your life. Jesus did not come for the good. He came for the sick. He did not come for the holy. He came for the ones that needed holy. Just remember that. He came for the broken sinner. We're headed to Easter. And we're headed to this new series. I'm really excited about it. It's all about the cross of Jesus. We all need the cross experience. Jesus took that cross so you wouldn't take it. But he took your sickness. He took your poverty. He took your disease. He took the depression, the suicidal thoughts. He took all of it. He took the immorality. He took the gender confusion. He took all these things that we live in a society that's out of control. Jesus took all that on that cross. All the sin of mankind. All the negativity. We can look at that cross today and say, I need it. So if that's you this afternoon, if that or this morning, if that's you, the church, and if it's not, it's still a great prayer to pray. Let's pray. Ready? Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life, and I declare that you're my Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, I do not want religion. I want you. Help me and grow in my relationship with you. Today, I am a child of God. I am born again. Amen. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let's do something this morning. You know, we're still kind of in that little place where the social distancing, and I'm, I'm respecting that. Because people, I don't, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. But I want to bring you bring the biggest need in your life right now. You know, it's not because Wednesday night is magical. No, 
we pray the same way Wednesday that we pray today. Maybe some of you can't make it Wednesday night or you work or what have you, but right now, if there's, you're struggling with your marriage, you're struggling in your finances, you got a bad doctor's report, your kids are out of control, or maybe there's just areas of your life that are out of control. Bring that. I want, I'm going to believe God for miracles right now. You know, the service is over, but I don't want, you know, it's over according to a clock, but it's not over according to the Holy Spirit. I want you to believe right now. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise one hand to heaven. You are watching me online. I want you to join up. The miracle power of God. You heard these testimonies. There's a little girl in Mexico City we prayed for, and, and God lifted her up. We prayed for this other lady that Janie shared. From one day to the next, cancer-free. We have a wonderful lady in our church in Laredo, cancer-free. I'm telling you, God is moving this year. He's moving. I knew it. I just knew that. The, remember, I, I believe I said this even last year where it just seemed like prayers were going to come in faster and faster and faster. Okay, you're in line. I want you to release your faith. So I want you to bring that to the front of your life right now. Maybe something I didn't even mention. Or maybe it's a dream. It doesn't have to be just a bad thing. But whatever it is, we're going to have a corporate faith. Now I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to pray along the lines for the person next to you, the person behind you. You don't have to touch them. You don't have to do nothing. Just lift them up in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Your presence filled this church when the praise and worship started. And we prayed Wednesday, God. We prayed for the glory. And the glory is here. That's another thing we prayed Wednesday night. We prayed that Sunday morning the glory of God would show up. The glory of God is the presence manifested with everything good. And Father, right now we pray against every demonic attack, every spirit of Satan that has been released that is on assignment to disrupt the families that are listening to this message, be it live or in an archive. It doesn't matter. The word is the word. And I pray right now that healing miracles, healing of emotional distress, from depression to anxiety, suicidal thoughts, darkness right now in the name of Jesus you be lifted off we pray over sickness and disease that came with a doctor's diagnostic every form of cancer blood disorder bone disorders nervous disorders and everything else I haven't mentioned you are healed now in the name of Jesus healed now by the power of God by a God that loves you a God that agapated himself for you that Jesus that took the cross, you are healed. Father, we lift up our families, we lift up our kids, and any kids that are running from God, we call them back home, not through condemnation, but through love. And Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you move and make these kids uncomfortable wherever they are, and they will walk towards God. And it might not be in our church, it might not even be through our voice, but they will listen to somebody, and that somebody's on their way. We bless those kids coming home. Holy Spirit, we pray over any financial challenges. And Lord, you're such a God of mercy and God of prosperity. And we will do our part. We will understand and learn the power of the tithe, the power of the seed time, the living from a generous heart. But I pray right now for financial breakthroughs, for open doors, for unexpected income. Because you are a giving God, Lord. Poverty is under the curse. And Lord, the religion taught us that we were supposed to be poor, to be humble. But no, Lord, you said something else. We were supposed to be blessed to be a blessing. 
And that's who we are. We lift up Cuba. We lift up our work with the Navajo Nation. We lift up, Father, these things that we believe that we are. And I give you glory and praise for this church. And we receive miracles. We say, I receive it. And believe that you receive it. I believe, oh my God, this week there's going to be so many testimonies. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And if you believe that, give the Lord another big praise. Glory to God. You may be seated. I want to share a couple things um, before I turn this over to Kathy and whatever announcement she has. Speaking to Elson Bennett this week, you know, he called me on my birthday. He was awesome. There's, it just birthed in my spirit, so I'm going to throw it out there. And then if, if it resonates in your spirit, then you can talk to me maybe next week. I want you to kind of think about it. But um, Navajo Nation was extremely locked down. I mean, you have no, I mean, the, the, the lockdown on the Navajo Nation was absolutely communistic. I ask, um, ask Elson. They would actually put these little, I, when I went to Arizona in December, we, I kept seeing this. I'm like, what is that? And Elson told me what it was. Outside the neighborhoods, there was like a rant, little shack built, plywood all messed up. That was a guard there. And you couldn't leave your house unless you told them, like every neighborhood had a little, like the main street to that neighborhood on the reservation had somebody, they wouldn't, unless it was the doctor of their groceries, you couldn't like, go say, I'm going to go for a cruise. They're like, no, you're not. If you went to the grocery store, you had to show them the groceries. Isn't that crazy? Because if not for the next time, they wouldn't believe you. Like, like, oh, you went to the grocery store? They go, the puppet trunk. You went to the doctor's I mean, it was pretty intense. <laughs> it's like insane. Anyway, so the Navajo Nation is starting to open up. But during the lockdown, which has been almost a year for them, full lockdown, uh, Wilson Bennett, there's two primary churches that they pastor on the reservation. The one in Hidden Springs, that most some of you know, we've been there many times. And then there was one in a, in a town called Kaipato, Arizona. Well, both churches got broken into. One of them, they tried to burn it down. I mean, they actually started a fire, but the fire did take. Uh, but it did cause damage and smoke damage. And then the other one, they, they almost tore the church down because they tied a chain to the door with a pickup. And they, they weren't able to pull it, but they pulled, it was, I guess the door was so well built that it pulled the frame from the top of the building. So it needs repair. So what? I, so talking to Elson, you know, it, it kind of started my spirit. I said, you know, there's, let me throw it out there and encourage maybe some of the men or some of the women, I don't know, you know, that maybe have a team that could run over there over for a weekend and help rebuild some of these churches. They need just stuff that we all do, just painting, a little bit of framing. And he was so appreciative. I said, the other thing is this, that we can't get a team, well, then we want to send you some money to help build those churches up. You know, Elson's my brother. Elson's always been a part of our family. And the Navajo people need the help, all the help we can get, you know. So that goes for everybody. I'm not doing anything today. I'm not picking up an offering or anything, but I want you to pray about it because I thought, it, I think it'd be great if we found three or four guys that had a spare weekend, you know, and just leave on a Thursday, come back on, on a Monday or something, and just go there and work, you know. Take all your tools and, and, and help them fix these churches up. These churches need to be alive. Do you agree with that? These churches are a light. So anyhow, I'll, I'll leave that out there. We'll talk about it next week. But if it, like say, if it resonates in your spirit, you're like, oh, that's cool. And that's, that's all you think about. It. But if that just starts, kind of, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, do something about it. Amen. So we'll, we'll look at it two ways. If we can't send a team of guys over there, then we'll, we'll see. You know, I told Elson, we'll do something else. You know, we, we want to help. You know, you, you are our family. And that's who we are. You know, that's what this message is about. So, want to leave that out there and again that's pretty much the only thing i have for you guys 
And, and the other one, you know, regarding your giving, once again, we appreciate every, every seed, every offering. It helps us keep all the doors open. Laredo is doing good. Today, I'm not going to Laredo. That's why I'm all chill right now. I'm like, oh, he's taking his sweet little time. I am. I'm, I'm, I, want him, I want them to start, you know, so I'm going to be doing three, three Sundays a month, and I'm going to take one off just to let other people come up and, and speak and teach over there. So you know what to do. You be a blessing. You know how to give. Give online. They'll give you the information. And I'll let Kathy come up here and deliver the people from me, Kathy. Has God been good this week? Amen. It's been a good week, right? Well, God has certainly been good this week. Amen. So um, if you'd like to go ahead and start getting your offering ready, we have some envelopes on the seats right next to you, and you can go ahead and check off your tithe, your offering, or where you would like to direct your giving. Or if you'd like to also give online, you can text the word FAITHWAY to 77977 and just follow the prompts as it comes through. So we do have a couple of announcements. I'm going to give you the announcements while you're going ahead and getting that ready. Um, we are really close. I know that we announced a couple, maybe last year, um, there's a big need here in the church to replace our carpet. And we, we did make the expense and we, had, we thought maybe getting it cleaned would solve the problem and it didn't. So um, we've been in the works of doing some fundraisers for the carpet to replace the entire carpet. And I think we're about maybe halfway there. Um, so we have two more fundraisers up in the schedule so that we can go ahead and continue to um, get all the money that we need for the whole entire budget. And I think with these last two fundraisers, we should be able to seal it. So with that said, we're going to be having a brisket burger combo sale. And church, this is where you can step in. This is for you. This is for all of us here. We all love our church building. We take care of our house here, God's house. So whether you serve, if you're a volunteer in any of our teams, whether you serve or not, if you're part of this church, please get active and get involved in this. And I would like to ask you to stop by at the Welcome Center before you leave and just sign up so you can grab a packet of tickets and just sell. I think the tickets are coming 10 to a pack. If you can sell 10, if you can't sell all 10, sell one. If you can sell something and contribute, it does help. These are seeds that we're putting back here into our house. So the brisket... Uh, combo. I think it's going to be $8. I think that's what we had it for last time. And it is good. It is very, very delicious. I think we had people come back for more. So it's sold out. And I think everything that we had left, I think we had a roaster left and they came and just bought the entire roaster from us last time. So it was really, really good. So um, that is going to be, that sale is going to happen uh, on the 27th. I think that's the, the, the date. It's a Saturday. It's the last Saturday of this month. So it's going to be the Saturday of this month. And then we'll have another one following in April. Um, another exciting announcement. I know that before COVID hit, we were having two of these amazing celebrations, two of the baptism celebrations. And we're really looking forward to kicking it up back to that notch to where we were before COVID put this strain and hindrance on us. So we're having our first uh, baptism celebration of 2021. 
um, the day before Easter. So this is just amazing just to have that revival come up. So if you have not been water baptized yet, or if you've been putting it off, this is your call. If you feel that little swelling in your spirit, this year's, this is your call. Go ahead and sign up in the Welcome Center before you leave. You just need your name and your phone number, and I will call you, and I will contact you, and just give you some more information. And before the baptisms, we will have a water baptism class, and I will address every single question that you might have, and we'll tell you everything of what baptism is, what baptism isn't. And this is something for every single believer. It, you don't have to meet any marks, any checklist, or anything. Once you say, Jesus, come into my life, you're ready. You're ready to make this public declaration. So we, we really look forward to celebrating this with you guys. So please, guys, just walk over that little line and just sign up and get um, signed up for that, that baptism celebration. So um, again, I know we've announced for this. Also, our teams, we have a lot of space and a lot of floor to cover for all of our, our teams here at Faithway. And there's somewhere for each and every one of you to serve. We've got lots of room. If you don't know where it is that you want to serve or where it is that your gifts are, we can have someone help point it out and, and see it in you because a lot of the times we might not see the gifts that we have, but others can definitely see it. So there's gifts that each and every one of you guys have. So we just like to encourage you to step over and come and join us on the team. It's wonderful to be here serving alongside with all of you guys. So we can go ahead and stand and let's go ahead and pray for the offering and pray for the service so that we can be dismissed and parents don't